This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. to Voice of Change with myself, Lauren Jacobs here on Radio K Pulpit. Welcome, welcome to the show. As you know, we're getting ready to go into this long weekend. For some of you, it's a time where life is going to change. Life is going to change because maybe you're going on holiday or you start your official Christmas holiday or maybe you still got another week to go. But we also know that there's going to be some excitement. I see you, you're going to be wearing your Springbok shirts as of course that win gave us this extra public holiday that we're going to be having this week. So may you enjoy it because of course well earned. This year has been long. It's been a minute and I just really pray that you are going to go into this weekend to have a little bit of rest, respite, some, you know, maybe just some fun with friends, family, whatever you are doing. I pray that it will be great. And I want to welcome you into the space of Voice of Change today because we're going to be talking about something that is so important, something that is so valuable. Please, South Africans, Cape Tonians, wherever you are in South Africa, please take note of what we're going to be talking about today because really we have seen the wrap up of COP28. For those who don't know what COP28 is, is the United Nations Climate Change Conference that is held every single year. Now, for some of you, you might be putting your hands over your ears and going, we don't want anything to do with the United Nations because we know what they've been up to. We've seen so many things. We've seen horrible things happening and I, and I get that completely. But the climate conference is vitally important. It's a gathering together of the countries of the world who are trying to figure out how we are going to stop the biodiversity loss that we have. That we are trying to stop the earth heating up even more and more, which means water temperatures rising, which means loss of incredible, incredible marine life and water just rising is going to impact everything we have seen the impact of climate change here in cape town with the drought with the temperatures with things going crazy and joining me on the show to talk about cop 28 as well as something that's very important that i'm going to tell you about at the end of the show that we need to take action on well who's joining me today is hannah eves from a russia uk and she has been involved with a russia uk for a very very long time and also they've been doing such incredible work as being a christian guide to what is happening in the world caring about the earth caring about conservation caring about the climate caring about biodiversity being a voice being people of prayer being people that encourage us to be people of prayer about the creation and so we're going to be talking about all of these things and more and how you in south africa can also get involved so don't go anywhere Hannah joins me after this. Radio celebrating life. Yes, it's Radio Cape Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. I am 
really, really excited to have Hannah with me today. As I told you earlier on, the United Nations 2023 Climate Conference has just wrapped up this week. And it's been two weeks of a lot of talking, a lot of, you know, conversations, a lot of commitments, a lot of emotional conversations as well. And, you know, talks by young people, by all kinds of people from across walks of life, different organizations that really are concerned and cared for the climate, really concerned and cared for our earth, our planet, and a caring consideration that I believe we should all have. And of course, we also know that there's been pledges, there's been some commitments, which we're going to talk about on the show today. And the feedback we've had, you know, just as the general public waiting to see what's coming out of the climate conference has been quite hard to hear. We're also going to talk about that. And of course, we have this hope of phasing out fossil fuels, but it was also dropped from the draft agreement that came out of the COP28 climate summit that just happened. So some concerns over that and a sharp criticism, but also us as Christians, we need to know where we stand on these issues uh, because there is some division on this. We need to know where we stand, and I'd love to know more about what happened at the climate conference. That is why Hannah is with me, and that is why, Hannah, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, your voice, your knowledge, your insight is just incredible, and I know is going to be something that's going to challenge us today and also something that we're going to need to take on board to be challenged in the future and also to think about. So welcome to Voice of Change. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Now, I know that, of course, this is, firstly, I'm going to ask you a personal question before I ask you something that, you know, the <laughs> sure. importance of fossil fuels. You know, when you've kind of reflected on what you see happening in the world, uh, we have a lot of things happening in the world that's affecting climate, that's affecting mm -hmm. biodiversity ecosystems. When you see what's happening in the world and when you yourself just personally see you know, the conversations that have come out of COP28 this year. How have you personally felt, just as a human being that cares so much about the planet, that's working at this every day, have you felt kind of deflated or like, okay, we just got to keep on working hard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's such an important question. And you mentioned young people, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm in my 20s, so I'm, I'm still, still pretty young. And it just feels like such an uphill battle sometimes. Like, I think there's real place in this conversation for lament. And I think particularly of, of the biodiversity we've already lost. And I think I do myself feel a certain degree of sorrow around that, you know, um, mm. and disappointment, you know, hoping for, for better every time and, and still, you know, still seeing, not seeing what we need to see. So I think there's, you know, there is a place for sorrow. There's a place for lament. There's a place for frustration. But I think ultimately, you know, there is, there's a hope and there's an active hope. Um, there's this really amazing writer, Rebecca Solnit, and she talks about the difference between hope and optimism. And mm -hmm. she talks about optimism as just kind of being a feeling of like kind of, you know, hoping that you might win the lottery, but, you know, you're, you don't know. Whereas hope, hope is active. Hope, hope mm. kicks the door down and says we can do better. And I think, you know, for myself, I feel frustrated and angry. And then I think, right, let's kick the door down. Let's do better because we've got to keep hoping. This is just getting, uh, there's still so much to fight for. So, yeah, mixed emotions, but that's kind of my, my reflections at this point. Mm, I love that as well, that difference, you know, and hope is actually mm. also it's, it's active. It's not just you're yeah. sitting, yeah. like you said, hoping that something's going to happen. Uh, you know, there was that old saying that, you know, someone prays to God and says, I want to win the lottery. And he's like, well, you need to buy a ticket. Uh, you know, you're not yeah. just going to. <laughs> 
get something if you don't you know there's an action not that we are saying you need to go and buy a lottery ticket but what we are saying is that there is an action and uh, sometimes yeah. we're praying for something or god like maybe take care of the planet or please can't you do this or please can't you do that well you know maybe there's a bit of action that's required from our side oh, yeah. yeah totally i love that you mentioned that word lament as well there is mm. space for sorrow and uh, i think that we don't make that space enough though yeah, definitely. And I think nature can just play such an amazing role in that, you know, because I think that nature just moves at this pace, which is so different to um, our pace. We're busy, we're, we're trying to get stuff done, we're trying to create, produce all these things. Nature's taking its time. And I think sometimes just going out into nature, lamenting, reflecting, taking that kind of time that's just really good for your spirit, you know, kind of slowing you down and thinking about our place in creation and, and what we can be doing to share it. I just think that's so important for our, just our spiritual health um, as well as our mental health. Nature is such an amazing tool for us in looking after our mental health. And, you know, there's not, there's not many things as damaging to mental health as watching climate negotiations, I'd say, you know, yeah. when someone in my position, it's uh, it's very difficult, but you know, nature, nature is at a different pace and yeah, mm. I think that can be really helpful. Mm. And it's so true. I was watching, as someone that's kind of new to gardening, that's only been doing this for two years, there was this beautiful hanging plant that I bought. And then throughout the kind of the winter months, it started to just look not so good. And I was like, oh my goodness, does it need more water? And uh, then during spring, it still wasn't looking so good. And I cut like quite a bit of the bottoms off because it looked frayed. And then I just did what I kind of <laughs> intuitively thought I needed to do. And one day, it's just this beautiful plant. Oh, and yeah. I was I was really, it was such a lesson to me because often what we think is dead, because I thought it was dead yeah. uh, and, and is not living and doesn't have life in it. There's life in its roots. There's life in yeah. it. And it's just in the right season when it's going to just become green and suddenly there's flowers on it. And I was like, isn't it such a lesson and metaphor for life? It's just because maybe mm. we don't see something happening in the way that we want it to or imagine it to look or be, doesn't mean there's not life in it and it's not going to be full of life in its time, in the right time. But anyway, this is just a reflection now that I'm having <laughs> with you. Yeah, but, yeah, you beautiful. know, that is how nature is. Like you said, it's that reminder mm. to us. And for those who don't know the importance of phasing out the use of fossil fuels, because people hear that, but I don't think they realize mm. This is important. This is this yeah. is the topic at hand. This is a discussion. Why is it important? Can you educate us on that? And what does it say to the world now that we have seen that COP28 draft come out and it does not include stating that we are phasing out fossil fuels? Uh, you know, why is that phase out important? And why is it important that it needs to come from these world leaders? It needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot to unpack there. I think, you know, uh, phasing, phasing out fossil fuels, I mean, the first thing to say is that that is just really important. I mean, the science is just incredibly clear. We cannot continue to burn for coal, oil, gas in the way that we are if we're going to avoid the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Mm. And we're already seeing that, you know, we're seeing increased flooding, we're seeing increased um, extraordinary weather events, we're seeing people driven out of there where they live and where they come from by climate impacts and scientists have been incredibly clear that our use of fossil fuels have been driving that. And so that's, I mean, that's it. That's the end of the story. We've got to, we've got to face them out. And if we've got any hope of getting anywhere near those, those, um, 
targets out in Paris. We've got to we've got to do that. And I think the reason why this is such a big issue on the agenda for this COP particularly is that what we're looking at with this one is the global stock take, which is like a climate report card. You know, we set those goals out um, in Paris in 2015 of keeping as close as possible the two degrees of, of warming above pre-industrial levels. And this is that they built into that this mechanism by which they track their progress. They do a stock tick and this is it. It started at COP26 in Glasgow and it's ending here at COP28 as negotiations are actually at the minute running over. They're still sitting thinking, what are we doing? Um, Mm -hmm. And and trying to get the agreement on that final text. And this is such a contentious issue because um, what we've seen from the stock tick is that countries aren't doing enough against Mm -hmm. what they've said. Um, So that's going to be such a critical issue. Um, and yeah, what does it say that the world's, this text, they can't get agreement on it? Well, mm-hmm. it says that countries that have profited off the sale of fossil fuels for, for a long, long time now are not willing to move on this. They're not willing to let go of that. Um, and they're not willing to take that responsibility. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking because we're seeing the countries who are facing the very worst of the climate breakdown, climate impacts, who are very often the countries that have done the least to cause it, um, standing there at COP28 and saying, this is a death warrant, you know, we're, we're, we, we, can, we don't have time for this. And yet we're seeing more stalling. So I think, I think you know, there's been some commentary that's come out today that said, you know, um, we've, we've heard words like abdication of leadership. We've heard just, you know, and I think that is, that is really the thing that, that kind of is my impression from countries in the global north not willing to kind of take that language is it's an abdication mm. of moral leadership you know it's an abdication of responsibility and it it's deeply disappointing so yeah um really critical we get we get that agreement mm. so true and and we're going to touch on as well what you said about countries that have been contributing the least towards what's happening like in terms of disrupting the climate uh, have actually been countries who are actually going to suffer the most and that's quite sad and a lot of developing nations what we're going to touch on later on as well. But what I wanted to say was for those who don't know is that, you know, countries committed to saying, hey, we want to keep the temperature rise below two degrees, ideally 1.5 globally. And is this realistic? Can we say, like like you've been saying to us as well, and I've also heard a lot of the speeches coming out, a lot of emotions shared by a lot of leaders who are saying from different countries in the world. Um, I read, uh, you know, one of the leaders from Marshall Island saying that we are facing a watery death if we do not get this under control because as water temperatures increase as they rise, we live on small, tiny islands, you know, there's not going to be anything left. Lots of this language of going like, please, please listen to what we are saying. And ultimately, this is why keeping that temperature rise below what we're talking about here is so vitally important. But I also wanted to know from you, you know, is this realistic now in terms of the actions that need to be taken by the countries around the world? Are we seeing countries take enough action? Can we trust, which is probably a big question, can we trust that if certain countries uh say, yes, no, we're going to do that. You know, yes, we're going to do that. But they're actually going to realistically stick to what they need to be doing so that the whole world and that every country, every nation can actually 
be okay because this isn't a one country thing. This is a global issue and millions of people affected. Can Is this realistic that we can expect this? You know, this is kind of like hanging over into politics, I guess, now. But can we trust that if if there's a commitment it's going to be stuck with, is this realistic? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a question in two parts, really. And I think the first one, you know, is it real? Could we do it? Yes, yes, we could. We, we could do it. Um, and I think there's such amazing opportunities out there, like for, you know, uh, with renewable energy, with all of the things that we have available, the tools that we have at the minute available to us. Yes, we could do it. And I think one of the really interesting statistics, you know, I, I saw recently was that, um, you know, research has shown that um, the emissions reductions we need, a third of that could be achieved by the restoration of nature. You know, mm. we could... By, by actually um, protecting and restoring our natural world, combat the climate crisis and make a massive dent in those emissions, you know, that wow. goal of two degrees. Um, and that, we, we know how to do that. You know, we could restore, um, we could invest in green jobs, in conservation jobs. We could yeah. prioritise green spaces and we could yeah. protect and restore nature. And that would have amazing amount of benefits, not just for climate, but it, it would um, because what happens is when you um, restore nature, you know, areas, there's really amazing habitats like uh, wetlands or um, peat bogs or mangroves, which are act as these amazing carbon sinks. So what happens is that the carbon gets, um, uh, it sinks into the ground and we can actually keep it there. And it's just this amazing process. So just by protecting and restoring nature, we can make a massive dent. And that's not, you know, that's not something we don't know how to do. We just need to do it. We need to prioritize it. So, yes, we absolutely could. But will we? That's the second bit. And that's the thing with these COP negotiations. We have to remember there's there's the commitments and then there's the implementation. Yeah. And there have been some amazing commitments. There's been some amazing news that's come out of COP, you know, early days with loss and damage fund, with other things. The thing is implementation, implementation, implementation. They've, they've got to actually do it take action and do it. And I think that's really where the rubber hits the road on this. So can we trust them? I mean, trust is such an interesting word when it comes to, um, when it comes to politicians and political systems. There are a lot of really good people working in this system, working on solutions, advocating, you know, there's some great people. But I think the thing that we really need to be keeping in mind as citizens, as individuals and as communities is that we've got to kind of hold them to account on those commitments. We've got to, you know, point to some of the things they've signed up to. Things like, you know, they've signed up to protect 30% of global nature by 2030. Well, we've got to say, look, you signed that. We are now holding you to your word. And that's where the law comes in. That's where these mechanisms of democracy, of law, of courts, that all, all of these are tools that we can use to kind of say, um, we'd like to, we're, you know, it's not a matter of trusting you to do the right thing. We're going to demand it because you signed that and we're your citizens uh, and we'd like to see better. So, you know, it, it's an interesting one. But um, yes, absolutely, we could. And that's where that hope thing comes in again. You know, th this is possible. But we've got to see that implementation, that action, that follow through. And that's where we come in, holding them account for that. Mm. And exactly that, because oftentimes people feel as citizens that there isn't any power, you know, like you don't have much power, but we actually do. Yeah. And we can hold, you know, power accountable as well. Those who are in power, we can hold them accountable and there are ways and means of doing that. And that's for those of us who live in a democratic society, that's 
that's the kind of good thing about a democracy is that we have those systems in place and that there are legal systems and ways that we can be doing more. And I'm going to touch on that when we get back from the song break, because here in South Africa as well, we are concerned about a number of things that's going to, that is happening or might happen, which, you know, is taking place around the country. And we need to be figuring out what we can be doing, how we can get involved in South Africa as well. But don't go anywhere because Hannah is still with me after this. Enjoy some music and see you after the song break. You are tuned to Radio Cape Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Radio that cares 24 hours a day. Yeah, with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change today, and Hannah Eves is joining me from Air Russia, UK. And we've been talking about not only, you know, COP28, the climate change conference of the United Nations, but also, you know, just a lot about what we can be doing, which we're going to get more into as people, as citizens, because we do have power and we need to realize that we can make a difference and that power is in our hands as well. We know what we can do together. And Hannah, I wanted to ask you because you know, when we talk about climate change, sometimes people don't believe that climate change is real. And I'm just going to say that out there because I've heard a lot of people, even religious people say like, well, maybe this is not real. Maybe it's a uh, a controversial issue. Maybe it's like a conspiracy theory. Maybe someone made it up. And I'm sure you've heard that as well. And why is it important that Christians actually need to actually play a role and take interest in the issue of climate change and the current need to care for our earth, which we know is actually suffering at a rapid rate, which is probably a twofold question. You probably have heard people deny climate change. And let's be honest, I want to be like upfront with people, maybe that are even listening who are going, I don't know if what you guys are even talking about is true. I'm sure you've heard this, Hannah, but why is it important then that we as Christians realize that we actually have a role to play and maybe we should start thinking about these issues from a different perspective? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, and I think, I mean, the first thing I would say when people say that is, yeah, I kind of wish it wasn't real, you know, that would make, Mm -hmm. I think we'd all make our life a lot easier if it wasn't real. But unfortunately, like I said before, the science is incredibly clear on this. And we're actually, it's not only science laid out in papers and, and, you know, by professionals, but you can see it. If you turn on the news, you can see the flooding, you can see the wildfires, you can see the impacts that are already happening, you know, the temperatures. Um, um, have we've had the hottest? We've had record heat over the last um, yeah. last couple of years. We're, we're you know it's there, it's clear as day. Um, and I think you know we're at a point where, um, of course, you know it, it's absolutely right to be thinking through these things critically. But you know it's it's incredibly clear. We've been having this argument for decades, but actually, um, it's sort of settled. You know, climate climate breakdown is happening. Um, and, and to your second point about, about what Christians can do, well, we consider it part of our faith here at Arusha. You know, really it's part of stewarding and caring for creation, that, that mandate we see in Genesis about, you know, um, looking after God's creation. And there's sort of a two-fold responsibility there. I always think of it that way, you know, to care for nature, to kind of all the things that God called good in that initial narrative, you know, trees, the birds, the, the you know, creatures of the field, all those things made by his hand and part of um he's a creator God and has lovingly created this world. And so we see that as part of our, our role as his as his children and his followers. And I think the second part of that is that real call to care for your neighbor 
um, and to call to protect the poor and vulnerable. Climate breakdown is um, is intrinsically linked to poverty, and it's completely unjust because, as I mentioned before, those those who have done the least to cause the climate crisis are facing those catastrophic impacts. And so we really see it as a, as a Christian response. Um, actually, you know, we value this, this good earth that God gave us. And we are looking at those who are facing injustice, who are poor and vulnerable, who are our neighbours, who are also made in the image of God. And we want to say, actually, not in our name, not in, not in our name. So that, that's kind of where the, the kind of Christian foundations can't come come into it for me um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love that and we need to care we need to show that we care and this this is an issue and the fact of the matter is that we need to be looking after the earth and it was this you know one of the first things that we were told to do right at the beginning Mm -hmm. and we need to take responsibility on whether we failed that or not whether we feel we have or not but we also need to realize that we have a role to play in this and One of the things that's hard for me to see and to witness is, you know, biodiversity loss. It's a a huge thing and it's a huge reality that we are seeing and it's very heartbreaking. And especially we are seeing this more and more as we see more and more wars. I think of Syria, what's been lost Mm -hmm. in Syria. But I also think now, you know, over the last two, almost two years, you have the Russian-Ukraine war the devastating impact on the environment, on the animals, you know, on the earth, on nature, on the biodiversity, everything that has been impacted uh, in Ukraine. And I follow a team that are vets, but they have a big team and they work in Ukraine. And I've followed them since the beginning of the outbreak of the war and the work that they have done in We don't realize that, I mean, it's like we have in South Africa, the Kruger National Park, you know, Russia came in and planted themselves in the middle of wildlife parks and destroyed wildlife that you can't get back. Biodiversity that is gone, ecosystems that are just incredibly damaged. We are seeing this now in the Middle East, which is concerning. You know, we are seeing, those are just, I mean, we see it in Indonesia. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And actually in 2020, Swiss RE actually play South Africa. And I want South Africans to hear this. They play South Africa, Australia, and Israel as the top three countries at risk for losing its biodiversity and ecosystem services within the next few years. We are at the highest level of needing to realize that this is a big deal. How can this be changed, Hannah? I know this is a massive issue and, a, and it's a reality that we are facing. People have a soft spot for animals. And so we need to realize that biodiversity includes animals. It includes animals we love and care about that we still want to see, not just the ones we have in our homes, the ones we pay a lot of money to go and see. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's catastrophic. How do we... How do we do better? How do we change this? How can we care more for for the earth that we have and to care about biodiversity, even maybe on a small scale or just in our communities, in our city? How do we go about changing what we see happening, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is a huge question, but I, I think there's a, there's a few levels to it, and I think it kind of it just starts with the individual. It starts with your kind of your heart and mind, and I think. Um, you know, it's often said that you can't protect what you what you don't know. 
Um, you can't protect what you don't love. And I think the kind of the first barrier is just that we've become so disconnected from nature as the kind of a modern society. You know, we're kind of um, in in the way that we, we've kind of built society in terms of the way we have cities and, and kind of uh, we can go a lot of our lives with just being really disconnected from nature. Um, and so the first thing to do is to be kind of making it available for the public to kind of get access to and to kind of get to know. And once you know nature and then you kind of see the benefits of it, then you become an advocate for it. You say, you know what, this isn't, I value this and I don't want to see it gone. And I think that's kind of the first thing I would say is just the kind of getting out into nature and enjoying it, learning about it kind of. Um, and then I think that the second thing is really about um, governments and, and decision makers and, and not just national governments, but local governments. I mean, in the UK, you know, councils, but uh, whatever kind of local administrations you, you have in South Africa um, is kind of actually raising up a voice and saying, look, I don't want to I, I want to see. Um, you know, as an individual saying to them, I'd like to see better on nature, but also what they can be doing is prioritizing policies that make space for it. So kind of target where actually ecosystem restoration can happen, you know, getting conservation organizations involved in kind of how how could we protect and look after big pieces of our land and our and our kind of our heritage, our natural heritage. Um, and where can be restore? Where can we be restoring and protecting nature? So, what we'd love to see from governments is that kind of putting some money behind it and putting some prioritisation behind it. You know, for that reason that for you know nat- nature is good in in all of itself. It's good for our mental health. It's it's good for kind of it's good in that you know God made it and it, it you know nature has a right to be there. It's not just about how we interact with it, but secondly because it can do so much to um, not only capture carbon and um, do, you know, help us meet our targets on climate action, but also it can mitigate the worst effects of it. So, you know, it can act as natural flood defences. It can act as, you know, for example, we talk about how planting trees in cities brings down the temperature of the streets, yeah. you know, trees cover, they, they, they um, uh, provide shade. You know, they 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 pull um, pollution out of the air. Trees have this amazing way of kind of helping us with that. So, you know, I think we just really need to see the money, the implementation, the action behind it from government. Because as much as we as individuals can make a difference and we can kind of do stuff in our patch and we can really engage... Actually, also governments, you know, they have certain levers of power, certain access to resources that mean that they really need to lead the way. They need to take actions. So I think that's just what we'd love to see at those different levels. And, and that's kind of how we can we can turn this around. Hmm. I love that you mentioned as well, like trees as well, which is so mm-hmm. important. When when we moved in, I started gardening two years ago, which I'm coming back to. I planted these <laughs> tiny little, tiny little trees. They were probably like uh, just below the knee, you know, tiny little trees. And on the little thing that came with it, it said that they would grow to be about a meter tall, which isn't very big, you know. Um, but so I planted them quite close to one of the windows. And today they're probably about five meters tall, like two years later. They didn't take very long to grow so big. <laughs> And in the week, my husband was like, I'm so glad we planted these trees when we moved in because it gives so much shade like to the windows and just gives like a nice feeling like when you see the, the trees blow. And trees are just, uh, they, they're almost magical. I mean, God really gave us a gift by giving us so many plants and trees and, mm. and the biodiversity 
that we have. And if you live close to this ocean, they're even more blessed because you get to see the water and the waves, you know, anytime you want to. And, uh, uh, you know, science also says our brain actually needs to see the ocean quite often and creates uh, feelings of goodness inside of us. And so, Hannah, I would also like to ask you, you know, here in South Africa, we we have a lot that's happening. And you you at A Russia, you know, UK, have some partners out in South Africa that Christians can connect with, people who care about the environment, about the climate, about all the issues we've been touching on today. Don't have to feel alone. They don't have to feel like, oh, but Hannah's speaking to us from the UK. We're not there. You know, we have places where we can get connected to here in South Africa. So can you tell us a bit about that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think your point about not feeling alone is, is huge. You know, we meet environmentalists all the time who kind of go, you know, I'm working on this in my church, I'm working on this in my community, and I just feel so alone. And I think, you know, just finding community of like-minded individuals is so so important for hope and for just sustaining yourself. And yeah, so like, I just really love to commend uh, a Russia South Africa to you all. I mean, so that's, you can find them at a Russia.org.za, um, and they have some really amazing project so there's one you know we were just talking about trees a minute ago and they have this fantastic project called the fern Clift forest restoration project mm-hmm. um in which they are um really investing in in that area and they're um kind of cutting back invasive vegetation and really uh working on indigenous trees in the area and just kind of really helping to um bring this eastern mythbelt forest back to its former glory so they're really working on kind of that that natural heritage i was talking about a minute ago they're really investing mm-hmm. in that in south africa and so you know you can get involved by um yeah having a look on their website looking at that project and and some of the other projects they're doing getting in touch with them donating your time your resources your money just kind of really putting your your back um putting yourself sorry putting your uh giving them your backing you know and and kind of really encouraging them so yeah do to check out Russia South Africa um hmm. they should be able to yeah give you opportunities to engage yeah, I actually just Googled it while you were talking just so I can see how mm. easy it was to find it. And it's super easy to find it. And uh, they're doing some amazing things. And I really encourage everybody to go and find out because we have such a huge role to play. We have to be, I mean, our role that we have to play cannot be overstated. We need to be doing stuff and we need to be doing stuff now. And there are a lot of people I know sitting, listening to us that are in the church that are Christians that are going, I actually want to do more. I love gardening, but I don't know how I'm going to take that passion into helping change the world. It can change the world because it does start by us. And Hannah has been reminding us of that today. We all have a huge role to play. And so Hannah, in closing, what is your challenge to faith communities, uh, to individuals of faith, but communities of faith as well? You know, churches and cell groups or Bible study groups or women's groups or youth groups, you know, People want to have stuff that they do sometimes that's tangible. What would your challenge be to faith communities on getting involved in caring for the planet, caring for the world, and helping us really fight against the climate crisis and climate change that is happening in our time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, just don't don't give up hope. You know, I think there are so many things we can be doing and, and just don't don't fall into despair because, you know, we can be making a difference. And I think the first thing I'd say is pray, you know, lift mm-hmm. it up to God because this is a huge problem. Um, and we are, we're going to need his encouragement and intervention and just 
pray. Pray for those who are dealing with the impact of climate breakdown. Pray for our natural world and, and pray for us who are working, out, working on these issues, you know, day to day. I think that that just be such an amazing first step. And then I think the second thing is get out in nature, you know, really um, take time to go and to, to kind of love and engage with and reflect and kind of, you know, as you said, you know, that we God's given this incredible gift to us of nature. And I just think go take take advantage of that gift and say thanks to God for it. And then and then you know, you raise your voice. We are citizens and democracies. We have um, an amazing uh, opportunity to say to our leaders, you know, we want better. We want to see better from you. And so I think just get out there, vote, you know, talk to your local representatives, lobby your national government and say that this matters to us and, and not in our name. So, um, yeah, yeah, that would be really what I would say. Mm, absolutely. And amen to that. And I love mm. I love what you have said a few times during the show today, not in our name. We don't want <laughs> this happening in our name. We don't want here in South Africa, we see the threat now of seismic blasting coming back. And I really want to encourage everyone that's listening to us to get on the internet and look at what's happening. You know, a year ago, we were having the same discussion. It was stopped. Now another company coming back, wanting to do seismic blasting right here on the West Coast, right up in Durban. The the, the sound that it makes under the ocean will kill so many, so much marine life. It's also destructive. It is harmful and really encourage everybody listening as well to please you know, get on Google, find the petition, sign, and there's so many incredible organizations, a huge protest that happened last weekend at Musenberg, over 100 people there protesting against this. There are a lot of people that really care, and I'm so grateful for them. And like Hannah said, let's pray for the people doing the work. Let's pray and pray and pray that they'll be strengthened and that good things can happen so that we don't have to sit here weeping about what we think we cannot change we do have hope and we can take action and Hannah I want to say thank you so much for being with me today for sharing your passion for these topics with us and also all the best for a Russia UK for your team your amazing team that you are a part of thank you for the work that you guys are doing and uh, yeah just thank you for being with me again today for stirring us with the truth that we need to care and be better stewards because we do and uh, just for sharing this time with me so thank you so much Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. There is radio and radio. And then there is Radio Cape Pulpit on 7 to 9 a.m. Can you hear the difference? Thank you so much, Anna, for joining me and for sharing such important challenges and information with us. Now, I want you to also listen up, turn this radio on high, turn that streaming up. And I want to tell you that we need to take some action because South Africa's Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, as well as the Department of Environmental Affairs, as well as its ministers, have actually authorized right at this very minute, we are sitting in this, they have authorized a UK-based company to conduct seismic testing off the southeast coast of South Africa, as well as the west coast. Uh, and this is going to be, if it's allowed, if it goes forward, it's going to start as early as January 2024, which is less than what three weeks away less than that and this is going to what happens with this is that they have an offshore vessel which actually every few seconds blasts sound bites as loud as an atomic bomb that travels underwater for thousands of kilometers and it absolutely just hits against 
everything in its path. It affects marine life. It affects the diversity and the water in the ocean. And this is what they're doing. And this is going to cause catastrophic realities for what is under our oceans. Marine life is going to be affected as never before. We know that there are many, many organizations as well as people who are very concerned about the seismic testing and are very, very concerned about their own livelihoods. We have on the West Coast people that rely on fishing, just small fishing trawlers, small fishing conglomerations who catch fish who do these kind of things and they say that this seismic blasting destroys the marine life livelihoods are at stake but not only that we know that animals under the ocean actually can go deaf they can die and they can completely be wiped out through seismic blasting seismic testing is terrible it's and it's just about gathering data from the ocean floor so that they can give that data to fossil fuel companies that create oil and gas on the South African coastline. This is not okay. We've just had a full conversation about the need to phase out fossil fuels. And and we as South Africans are at a huge risk of losing our biodiversity, of losing our ecosystem services. And I'm really, really wanting you who are listening to me today to please appeal please just sign petitions this is terrible what is going to happen sign the petition against these companies and go online and go and figure out how you can get involved here there have been a number of protests we saw the protest in musenberg just last weekend over 100 people joining and saying we don't want this we do not want this because we're trying to protect our ocean so one of the places where you can go and sign the petition and go online is sea spiracy which was the Netflix documentary that came out. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. And also just go online, find out how you can sign these petitions and just really get involved and say no to what is happening. We as the people have been able to stop this a year ago. Now another company has come and we need to stop this as well. We want to protect our oceans. Come on family. I urge you today to really consider that we have a role to steward and care for our earth and our environment. And if we do not live up to that role, then we're breaking the, the ultimately the very first rule and commandment and and authority that God gave us in this world. And that was to look after his creation. So I really urge you to realize that we are at a huge crossroads and we cannot allow things like this to happen, not on our watch, not in our name. And so go on and find those petitions against seismic blasting that's happening in January 2024 even google it you will find it there so thank you so much for joining me i i believe and trust that you will take a few minutes now during the song to go on and and sign that petition take action we can stop this in its tracks we have the power and may god help us continue to pray for those who are working in the space continue to pray for our earth we have the mandate to do that see you next week cannot wait to be with you where we dive back into the conflict of what is happening in gaza and in israel see you then This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.